boy, I hear that last chord, and I, I know that's the thing. Well, good morning. We've gathered as God's people. It is good to be together. It is good to worship the Lord, to have our hearts refreshed in the truth of the gospel and all that that means. The call to worship this morning, again, focuses on entering into the presence of God, even in the midst of challenging times. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5. I'll read, and you have a responsive part. Let us enter in. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Let's stand and sing to the glory of God. seat if you would please. It's always a joy, highlight of the weekend for me, to welcome uh, all of you to worship, those of you on site as we gather uh, in, in the midst of the cold and all that goes on, but also those of you online that you give us opportunity through live stream or through recording to let us join you in your space and place and time. And the Holy Spirit builds the body of Christ. It's a marvelous thing that I've uh, seen us enter into. Marvelous. A um, couple of quick things. Uh, one, we'll have a fellowship time after the worship service, a time to kind of gather and uh, enjoy fellowship. I'm going to wait until next week, I believe, for our Q&A time where we'll gather in a classroom for more interaction. Uh, so we continue to follow the um, you know, just working these things out week by week. I was asked to mention our Ireland Serve and Learn mission trip, 
were aiming to get a group of folks who could go to Ireland on April 23rd and 30. Uh, through that period of time, but we've had a change in deadline and need to secure whoever's available uh, by this Friday. So if you have questions or interest, call the office, talk with Dee, uh, find a way to connect. We can perhaps build a group to go over and work with Luke and Kelsey, service projects, as well as learning um, about what it means to live out Christian faith in an increasingly secular Irish culture. So take advantage of those options. Um, I'm also aware we continue to do our Scandalous Stories um, book, reading along and in discussion groups. Wednesday night, we're doing some online groups. Uh, look to the Heart of Wyke News and look at options with that. We're encouraging everyone to find a way to not only be a part of the sermon, but find a way to have Bible-based, text-based discussions. This book is a helpful kind of follow and commentary with that. Also, I'm very thankful that we're doing the contact card online. If you would like to get information or hear a call from me, all you have to do is text CONNECT to our number, and that will give you a form to let us know uh, how better to serve you. And so I'm happy to do that. We send out from Celebration information uh, goes out Thursday afternoon at about three. We're part of all the Heart Awake news. And then I send something out to celebration folks at 7 p.m. So you can get up to two emails on a Thursday from us in that way. And it's in the celebration inform that I'm adding some things, blogs that I write and post that I uh, want to make available to you. Um, you'll see in the bulletin this morning on one side, a whole list of prayer requests. We're in a season that really has called us to prayer. There's a bunch of challenges, so take those home, be praying. And then I have a pop quiz for you. If you open it up and look at the center, you'll see what is my typical sermon outline. But what does it exemplify for you when you show up for the test and the smart kid has filled in the blanks so you get 100? That's a, a, a poor metaphor and similarity to grace. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we hear Christ in our stead. So that was not my design, but when it was pointed out to me that I gave them the wrong file, uh, that's what you got, all the answers as well as to the questions. So speaking of questions and answers, not that worship should be a test, right? But speaking of questions and answers, boy, he had too much coffee this morning, didn't he? Um, question number two, the Heidelberg Catechism. Week by week, we've been uh, looking at this in the month of January. I'll begin with the question. What must we know to live and die in the joy of this comfort, namely, that I am not my own but belong to Jesus Christ? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. How firm a foundation is laid in God's excellent word. Let's sing about that.
Amen. Have a seat. Again, as I mentioned, there's a large number of prayer requests on the back of the bulletin. Uh, I'm going to give some space today to pray, and you can use that as part of your own silent prayers. Um, I'm going to continue to have us pray together for Brianna Evenhouse and the Evenhouse family in the midst of their uh, circumstances and situation right now. It continues to be one of those circumstances that's medically ambiguous and difficult, stable, but critical. And so we continue to need to pray uh, with that. Let's turn to the Father, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you invite us in not because we are so invitable, but because you are so graciously hospitable. And so we enter the throne room by the grace that Jesus has opened up the doorway for us, and we speak to you as you have redeemed us to be children. And we say, Abba, Father, we bring to you the joys of our hearts, the sorrows of our hearts, we bring to you the things we understand and want to commit to. We bring to you the things we don't understand and want to rest in your presence. Father, I pray for Heart Awake Ministries. I thank you for the faithful uh, people that have gone on years, decades before, so that in this moment we can carry, as it were, the baton of faith in our leg of the race. Help us to be faithful as those who've gone before us. Help us to point to Jesus, to uh, listen closely to the voice of our Good Shepherd, and to obey in this time. We pray for Watershed and for Pastor Aaron as they uh, open up the word, worship, share life together as a, one of the worshiping communities of Hardawike. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB and the ministry there that'll go on. We pray, too, for Pastor Florencio and Mission. It's a marvelous reminder that right here where we are, the gospel will be made clear, the scriptures will be opened up in the Spanish language. Thank you that this gospel shall be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. So make your gospel, the good news of your grace, clear and compelling. Father, we pray, too, for celebration, that portion of Heart of Wike you've drawn us to be a part of. And I thank you that the ministry of celebration is not nearly so much about a leader or a staff as it is the people of this body that you gift and empower to serve. And so now, as the people of God, we take a moment and pray I want to ask us to pray. We'll focus in the silent sanctuary of our heart on those who are sick, hospitalized, treatment, whatever expression it may take, whatever the, it may be, for those who have sick, sickness or medical needs. Father, be clarity and insight for medical staff, Refresh them and strengthen them in the challenges of the winter season. Uh, give recovery and healing grace to those who are sick. We pray, too, for those who are recuperating, have been through a season and are looking to regain strength. I encourage you now, in the silence of your heart, we pray for those who are recuperating. Father, restore health, vigor, strength, that people might live life to the fullest and to your glory, serving you and giving you glory. We pray for those who are recuperating. And we pray too, Father, for those who are grieving, that in the face of loss, feel that weight. Holy Spirit, you are comforter minister in deep ways. I'm going to encourage you. Pray for any in your circle of relationships who may be grieving. Father, I would give voice to our prayers for Brianna Evenhouse, but we join together as your body. And we pray for Brianna. We pray for her grandparents in that circle, for her mom and dad, for her two brothers, 
And we remember that in the vows of baptism, you bind us together in hope and in faith. And so we pray in light of those vows that bind us to Christ. We do pray you'd be with the medical staff as they care in a very uh, pressed and tiring situation. We pray for insight. We ask you, Abba Father, for healing grace. Give us guidance and encouragement. We stand with Brianna and the Evenhouse clan, the whole family, to be encouragement and hope and grace to walk through this season. Father, you instruct us in your word to pray for those who serve in positions of authority. And so we do that. And in our regular cycle today, we pray for local government and agencies. We think of Holland City, Park and Holland Townships, Ottawa County and the various departments and um, boards. We pray for the school boards, public and private and charter. And we pray, Father, for decisions that they make through the ordered structure of government, that you might guide them even when they're not asking for it, that you'd make the ruler's heart as a river in your hands, that you would guide it. Bring peace and fruitfulness, stability, justice, that this community might flourish. And in that flourishing, many would be cared for and good news would go out. Father, we pray too for missionaries, for those, particularly those sent from Hardawike who go to the four corners of the earth to make the good news of the gospel clear. And I wanna pray very specifically this day for believers in China. Later this week, we'll start to watch the Olympics, but we know that there are fellow believers in that country who are locked away even other people who are of other faiths who are persecuted. We pray for justice in that land. And I would pray very specifically for Pastor Wang Yi, a fellow believer. He and his wife have been imprisoned. We've prayed for them off and on. We pray that this week, every time we enjoy the Olympics, we would pray as well for fellow believers who suffer. Father, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, as the gospel of God's grace moved another step further out among the people of this planet, the scripture records, Luke in chapter 10, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Dear God, here we see all three of you, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fellowshipping with joy even as Jesus is on the road to Calvary. No doubt, we see costly love. It runs through the history of redemption. Joy, not condemnation or fear. A smile, not a frown on your face, even as you approach the cross, Lord Jesus. There has never been any doubt in heaven about what would or what will transpire on earth. For our God is the Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus said. Your kingdom will come in fullness. Your will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Heaven and nature will sing in harmony forever. The issue is never if. The question is when. And so it is, Father, we join together, one voice, one heart, praying together as Jesus taught us, saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue in a series this winter on a scandal of grace, and we're looking at a particular set of parables, about eight of them. Parables that we need to dig into. You know, it's all, you hear the stories again and again and again, it becomes very easy to just play them over in your mind, 
get a simple uh, go on it and run, but it's good to stop and really dig in. And so we're trying to do that and facilitate a variety of ways to do it. This morning, we'll be looking at Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24. And this is also, it's one of those parables that Jesus gives us the interpretation. He gives a parable to the crowd and then to those who come and asks, he gives a little deeper insight. And so I'm going to read both what he speaks to the crowd as well as to what he gives um, to those who come and ask. So let us hear or read uh, the word of God with hearts ready to receive. Jesus told them, that is the crowd, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is yeah, it's like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now let's skip a few uh, verses down to verse 36. Then Jesus, the he, Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples, and underline this, remember it, his disciples came to him and said, please explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed, that is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them, that is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are, are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out, his king, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll be thrown away into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that even in our confusion and sin, you would not be put off. But God the Son took on human flesh and the human name Jesus in the history of a nation. And he walked and talked he shared life and hope and sorrow, but all for the purpose that on behalf of us all, he may face sin and its consequences and put an end to them. We thank you for the cross where that happened. And we thank you that Luke and Matthew and Mark and John, inspired by you, would require and record these stories that you've preserved them across centuries, and that now you can finish your work, Holy Spirit, as you take this carefully recorded and preserved word, open it to us, even through my own brokenness. Guard your people, but may Jesus and the hope of the gospel be clearly seen this day. Be with us, we ask. Fill us with great hope, for we pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen been deeply touched by this theme that's run across several of these parables already. Uh, Jesus speaks, and sometimes you just scratch your head, but his disciples come and ask, and he takes them another step further. It's such a great model of the, the way to live out the hope of the gospel. Take where we are, come to Jesus and ask. And notice, it's important that we get this idea that we listen for the voice of the good shepherd. It's not a bad thing to read the scripture and remember a sermon maybe or to think about the text or read a book, offer an idea in exchange with people. But we also, on the promise of the scripture in John 10, 
We also need to know how to listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd, how to discern the voice of last night's pizza from what Jesus may say to us by the power of the Holy Spirit in the place of prayer, and then how to live that out in obedience as he speaks and guides. All these things working together to bear in us the fruit of God's grace. I want to take three key takeaways from this passage this morning. I'll give you those and then we'll work them out uh, through the course of the morning. The first is this, there is evil in the world. That's a reality that we need to come to grips with. The second, there is a final judgment. And the third, the end things are better than right now that we are living. So there is good hope in the face of some hard realities. First of all, there is evil in the world. Jesus is very clear about that in this parable. Evil in the world. He says, ooh, we're much further ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we need to get into the sermon. Pardon me for just a moment. And it looks like this is not working. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I won't worry about those slides then. Just go blank and I will... Um, preach. It couldn't be that I forgot to put it in, could it? <laughs> we never have busy weeks. So let me jump in. That's why I wanted you to have the answers in the bulletin. <laughs> One of the great things about having a sense that there's a God who's in control is that in all those moments when I'm not, we can just celebrate the goodness of God. First of all, there is evil in the world. When Jesus says, the field is the world. I want you to realize he's not giving us a parable here that's supposed to instruct us about life among God's people or relationships in the church. This is what it means for God's people to live in the world. The field is the world and things get planted there. It's not the circle of disciples. It's not the church that he's pointed to. It's about how the children of the kingdom navigate relationships in the world, not simply relationships among themselves. And the end of the verse is painfully powerful and clear. There is evil as an abstract force, evil in the world and brokenness, but there are also evil doers, evil that is personal and specific, that has will, that is thoughtful, that strategizes. And again, Jesus gets very, very specific here. He speaks of Diablos in verse 39, the evil one. He speaks of sons of evil in verse 38. Yes, there is abstract evil and reality, but there is also personal evil, specifically, interactive. Jesus is talking about more than just the concept of evil or the experience of suffering. There is real personal force at work. The world is broken by something evil. Yes, that's sin. That's a reality. But there are also beings that do the breaking, diablos and the children of evil. Now, you could deduce from this, and I'll just point to it and move on, but you could deduce that, that, that in the perspective of Jesus, there is an unseen war, two opposing sides, two factions, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the evil one, to use the very literal Greek. Evil is an abstract reality, evil as specific personality that we encounter and deal with. This affects how Jesus would help us face the suffering that we experience in the same world, in this world. Because evil and the suffering that results from it is real and not an illusion. I want to tell you something, friends. Our Buddhist neighbors do not believe that. Buddhism has a worldview that says evil or suffering is merely an illusion when you are, have too much desire for the things of the world. Suffering is not an illusion. It is real. Something I've come to experience with suffering is that it hurts. 
It's painful physically, psychologically, spiritually. It is real. That's different than the American prosperity theology that just pervades everything where suffering, it really rests up to us. Faith in faith. If you have enough faith, you can do away with suffering. Jesus just shakes his head and says, follow me and leave that confusion. Suffering is real. We're going to do a podcast in a few months as we read through as a staff a book called Prayer in the Night. Fascinating book written by Tish Harrison Warren, an Anglican priest. Uh, she worked with InterVarsity for a number of years. I've followed her writings. Brilliant. Let me read to you some things about this that she points to in her book, Prayer in the Night. A recent survey showed that the most commonly stated reason for unbelief among millennials and Gen Zers was that they have a hard time believing that a good God would allow so much evil or suffering in the world. That's thoughtful. I've certainly run into that. This, she writes, is unbelief as protest. If there is no God, then the problem of pain vanishes. Let's think about that. In his book, Unapologetic, the author Francis Buford points out that in the absence of God, of course, there is still pain. But there is no longer a problem. Pain is just what happens in the world. It's as if the answer is, deal with it. Get over it. No. If there is no God of love, then questions about, about how can an all-powerful and loving God allow evil and suffering in the world... That just evaporates, but so does any redemptive meaning our pain might have and the transcendent story in which we might situate our suffering. See, the problem of pain and suffering in the world starts with a God of love. How could a God of love and sovereign omnipotence allow such suffering in the world? Well, if your response to that is there is no God, there is no longer a problem because all you've got left is meaningless pain. You haven't dealt with the pain. You can't just call pain an illusion biblically because it's real. In light of how Jesus explains his own parable to his disciples, it seems that he's teaching us about how to navigate evil and the suffering that it brings in this present world. The next things that Jesus presents in dealing with evil in our world is this. There is a final judgment. Evil is real. And in the parable that Jesus gives, there is a final judgment. Now, we usually recoil at the thought of a final judgment. I mean, it just seems so, what would you say? Final? <laughs> the language of fire? burned up, destroyed, rooted up, removed, yikes, but it is there. Let's breathe deep. It is there, and it's on the lips of Jesus himself. Even if you don't know what to make of everything in the Old Testament, that's a fair place to be. This is Jesus speaking in the light of common parlance. This is in the red. It's from his mouth. One thing this final judgment means is that evil and suffering is not permanent or eternal. If suffering is real, it is also not final. Now, I can't go real deep on this or spend many hours at this point. We're in deep waters here, but one thing Jesus makes clear, so I'll make this our point of focus, our main takeaway. There is a final judgment, and I am not the judge. You might want to turn to somebody next to you and say, you know, he might be speaking to you. <laughs> I'll let you go on that. But this is the word. There is a final judgment, and you and I are not the judge. Jesus says very clearly in verse 41, the Son of Man will send... There'll be angels, apparently, that uh, instigate his will and his purpose. The Son of Man himself, that is Jesus himself, is the judge. And he will judge with justice, 
no confusion, no corruption. The Son of Man will send those angels to implement or apply that judgment, but because it comes from God Himself, it will be just, it will be fair, it will be gracious, and it will probably be more than I can understand because He's God and I'm not. But this I know, and this is the fruit that I take away from this final judgment. Evil and suffering will one day end justly. They'll be weeded out. They'll be gone. That's the language of fire in Jesus' parable. There will be a judgment, and it means evil and suffering are not final. That leaves us in this moment to reflect on some things. If there is a final judgment, let me put that statement in a more important biblical context. We need to be careful about who you hang out with and their influence on you. So there's a final judgment. There is just judgment because it's God who does it. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean anything goes for me. The scripture is very clear. Be careful about those who influence your life, who have impact. In the explanation that Jesus gives, he says directly, the field is the world. God's people, you and I, will live for a time in a world that includes evil, evil people, and suffering. That's the reality in which the seed of God's Word has been planted in our hearts. We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world that includes evil, evil people and suffering. So be careful about how you let them influence you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We've seen that happen. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So we live in a world where wheat and weed will grow up. We live in a world where evil, evil people and suffering will be a part of our experience. And so we need to live circumspectly in our hearts and in our close relationships. All of us, all of us, this is not an age-graded warning or observation. All of us need to be careful about the influence of various media on our thinking, on our evaluation of others, on our perspective on life and values and what the meaning of life is. Parents, you are right to be discerning and careful about your child's friends. It's an important thing and an important way that you serve your child. As children become older, I'd say this to you kids, you need to make careful decisions of your own about who you spend time with and who influences you as friends. That begins with decisions that parents make, but they, they hand those off to kids. And as you grow, you need to be careful of those. Here's an example, and this is for adults by and large. If there's a person whose business had declared bankruptcy four times, left partners, contractors, suppliers in the lurch. Now, I don't think Jesus calls us to judge that person's attorney, uh, eternity, I'm sorry, um, but we should be wise about their character and influence on you. Would you take as a business partner someone who declared bankruptcy four times? on a cash-only basis, perhaps, right? I've faced this as a pastor. I've been in circumstances where a member was convicted of embezzlement, large sum of money, large enough that they went off to prison. And just before they went off to prison, had a dramatic experience with Christ, lived the challenge of the prison life, came back, energized for God, there were some who immediately wanted this person to step into leadership. We all agreed it would probably be best that this person not be the church treasurer. <laughs> and I was fairly insistent, trusting that God had worked in his life, 
that I could begin to take this person with me in places and help them begin to integrate their life outside of prison, begin to reflect and in close relationship, navigate the pathways of their heart. But it would have been inappropriate to take someone and put them in a place of leadership or a place of consideration. Those things develop. We need to be wise and recognize character over time. When someone repents of their sin, are they forgiven? Yes. Are they ready to step back into leadership? Not biblically. Because leadership in light of the scripture is based on the evidence of character proven over time. So we live in a world where evil and suffering continue. We live in a world marked by wheat and weeds, but we need to be in our own relationships, careful and circumspect. Do you get that big picture? Weed and wheat. We need to be circumspect about what influences us. That's the the whole picture. And when we have that in mind, we can see that to offer the gospel to all is neither accepting approval nor judgmental rejection. In this parable, Jesus makes clear that God's people will live for a time in a world that is broken. The reason for that is so that we can share the good news of God's grace. Friends, our isolation from the world, because churches have tried that, our isolation from the world and its brokenness and broken people and suffering will not keep us safe. You know what keeps us safe? God's grace. I can be safer living in obedience to God's call and his grace than I can by any gated world that I can create. You see, this reminds us of God's priorities for his people, the church. It's good that we care for one another, congregational care, but that never should break down into just circling the wagons and waiting. Keep those bad people out. We're called to do the good that we can and influence our world for good, to stand for justice, to help overcome poverty, sickness, corruption, systemic sin. We are to be salt and light in a broken world. But don't ever think we create the kingdom. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the peoples. Panta ta ethne is the Greek there. To hear that word ethnic? Not just political boundaries and nation states, but every people group. Then, Jesus says, the end will come. Next time somebody gives you a chart of all the headlines that proves Jesus is about to come, smile and be polite, but forget them. Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom, not the headlines, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations, then the end will come. He's not coming till the gospel has gone out. Well, there is a final judgment. There is a hope in this judgment that it's not the only thing. I want to make sure. There is a final, there is evil in the world. There's a final judgment. But the hope from this parable is that the end is better than the now. That there is coming a time and a setting and a situation that's different than right now, and it will be better. I love the terms that Pastor Aaron uh, had as we were working on the sermon together this week. He talks about the point of this parable being purposeful, patient. Let both grow together until, Jesus says in verse 30, purposeful patience. For now we live in the midst of evil and suffering, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we live with a hope. Evil and suffering are real indeed, but they're not final or eternal. Do you see? We're here. There is suffering, but it ends. I love this term, purposeful patience. That's how we're called to live. Caring for one another, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, because we know we live in the midst of this sorrow, but we know it ends. We need to trust in God for a just judgment. The Son of Man will send. It's not ours to judge others. 
The brokenness of our present life and world will be done away with. God's just judgment, not human justice or power. God's just judgment will be established and all will flourish. For this moment, we live with the weed and the weeds. It's a mixed world. There is a joy and there is a suffering. It's mixed into the life we live each new day. And because we ourselves are mixed people, we are not yet what one day we will be. I want to introduce you to a term. You'll see it in the bulletin in the sermon outline. The Latin is simul justus et peccator. It translates into this, at the same time, righteous and sinner. And it's usually associated with Martin Luther. Luther is a marvelous example of justified in Christ and still a sinner, believe me. But all of us are that, simultaneously righteous and sinner. We are mixed. In this life, God's people have always had to live side by side with suffering and evil. We live in the daily challenge, the battle for our hearts of grace and works, justified yet a sinner. Think of Jesus when he's speaking these terms. There's an authority in the world, Herod. King Herod was dangerous. In Matthew 11, just before this parable, John has been in prison and he sends his disciples to ask of Jesus, are you the one? John is realizing his life is under duress and he wants this Messiah to rescue him. After this parable, John the Baptist is beheaded. Friends, Jesus is present, but the weeds are still there. Think about the first believers in the church of Jerusalem. They were threatened by Saul. Acts 9.1 says that Saul was breathing murderous threats. And the Bill translation reminds you, he was not just breathing those threats. People were ending up in jail and dead. At that moment, you could easily judge Saul as a threat to the church, as a weed. But God would take Saul and change Saul's heart, and we now know him as the Apostle Paul. By contrast, King Herod apparently turned out to be a weed the whole time. We can never know about others. Are they Herod the weed or Saul the not yet to become? And so we share the gospel, but we do not judge. As Jesus explains his meaning in this parable, we gain perspective on how to live in our moment simultaneously, just and sinners. I blogged on this idea that all my heroes are sinners too. All the people who've deeply shaped my life and who I respect also are broken people. Martin Luther is that. I want to tell you, Martin Luther had wrong, unacceptable, evil statements about his Jewish neighbors. Is he a hero? Yes. Is he a sinner? Yes. All of us are just like that. But God has promised to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin that's the heart level, and all who do evil. There will come a time and a place in real life that Jesus will enter in and make this cleansing. Evil and suffering are alien to God's creation as he created it. The result of humanity's sin, the evil done to us and the evil done by us, this, the original cause of all that suffering will go away. God will deal with it. They're alien to his creation. He will return and put a final end to evil and suffering. He's promised a time where there will be no more tears, no more sickness or death. The old order of things will pass away. The new order of things will come. It's just like Sam Gamgee, that great philosopher, the hobbit in Lord of the Rings said to Gandalf the wizard, everything sad will become untrue. Everything sad, the world we live in with, with weeds and wheat, all of that will become untrue and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The challenge for us is to be patient, to be faithful and to love our enemies, to offer the gospel of God's grace without judgment or without self-righteous pride, our own weeds of heart. 
In closing, I was reminded that it was bladder cancer that eventually caused my dad's death. Several times I had opportunity to sit with him during chemo, often prayed for his healing. Not once through that whole five-year period up and down, not once did I think that the cancer that was killing him was God's will for my dad. Bladder cancer was real, but it was alien, and it was not final. I never wondered about God's will in my dad's bladder cancer. You see, because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of his promise of a time where there will be no more tears or sickness or death, I knew where God stood with regard to cancer. It's alien, and it's not final. When I prayed for my dad's healing, I was asking that what was guaranteed to come to us would come right now. But I knew where God's heart was. As it turns out, God gave us more than the doctors ever expected. But in the end, we also learned how to face sadness in God's grace. Some of those choices are out of my control. It's not my strength of faith or lack of it. But the faith that I have rests in this promise, what Jesus did on the cross, and that the evil and suffering that I face will one day be eradicated. We live in this time between the times. Live by grace and in confidence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness. For life in this world is filled with more mystery and questions and frustration than we could ever imagine. I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice that you would guide what they've heard and how your Holy Spirit applies it, that we might hear the good news and hope in Jesus, a hope that extends even beyond our understanding, our, beyond our ability to force or control. But in this moment, I pray that in your grace, we might breathe deep and receive the promise of hope for ourselves and for those we love. That for whatever else we don't understand, we might see a God who would lay aside his glory and take our sin upon himself. And any God who would do that will trust with what we don't understand. Fill us with a great hope, O oh God, based on your kindness, established at the cross, secured through the empty tomb. We hold on to the hope in all that we face. Be with us this day. Guard our hearts. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I think it was Charles Wesley who said, any real faith can always be sung, and I love how this particular hymn expresses that faith in a great way. Let's stand and sing together, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
now receive the benediction of our God, the blessing, as Paul writes it in the second letter to the Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen and amen. Thank you.